This program is sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. It will give them courage new. It will help them to be true. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring out. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Macy, and I'm the minister here with the North Valley Church of Christ. Well, man... Uh, crazy, crazy few days. Everyone's watching the news, wondering, will Elon Musk buy Twitter? And of course he did. We found out he bought it. He now officially owns Twitter. And um, man, I, I, I agree with him and many other people that Twitter is a place where we have public discourse. And it should be open. Now, should there be some people who are banned from such uh, places? Well, yeah, those who advocate real violence. And uh, you may not agree with me on this next point, but hear me out first. I do not think that there should be a ban on hate speech. Okay? Now, there is a, you know, a fine line there, I think. Well, maybe not a fine line, but there is a point where it, you can take hate speech too far, where that's all you do, and you're just, you know, everywhere a particular person goes, you're there just, just reaming this guy, and there's a clear evidence that you will, you've gone overboard, then that should be looked at. But there should be nothing wrong with hate speech. Here's why. As soon as you say, well... You should ban speech that hates on Christians. How about that, since we're all, we're all Christians? You should ban speech against Christians, or ban hate speech against homosexuals, or ban hate speech against the Muslims. Well, where does it end? What if they? What if someone hates me, or hates Joe, Joe Biden, or hates Donald Trump? Should they be banned? Uh, let, let's take those two. Hates Joe Biden, or hates Donald Trump? Let's say you ban people who hate those two. That pretty much takes everyone in the world out, right? So what, who, what's the standard there? there? If you hate something and you hate something, fine. If you want to post that about that, okay, whatever. If you take it too far, well, all right, take a look at that. But then when you get to the point of violence, that you want to have violence, then that should be banned. Don't, don't let violent people... Uh, onto the uh, platforms. I'm, I'm okay with that. But as far as anything else, have discussions. Don't follow them if you don't like them. You know, you can block them, anyone you want, and, and things of that nature. And with that in mind, I want to talk about uh, contagious attitudes. Contagious attitudes. I, I see this everywhere, on both sides of the political aisle, on both sides, of the, uh, both sides, all over the place, just everywhere, where people are, are, more and more folks are not thinking for themselves, but going into a group think. You know what I mean? Group think. And that's always been the case, and it always will be the case, but we, we choose what we take, and our desire, what we love the most, or we, we gen, generally tend to gravitate toward people with similar ideas, but we ought to have the open enough mind where we are willing to sit down and talk and to discuss things with people that we don't agree with. And it should be able to happen on Twitter. It should be able to happen face-to-face. 
But man, we just don't, it doesn't happen, does it? Even in debates, there is no debate anymore where they discuss their ideas with one another. It's how, who can get the best jazz or who can be the funniest and get all their points in at the same time. It's, it's not a debate. It's a forum is all it is. They ask a question, what's your thought? What's your thought? Move on. And that's all it is. It's not a debate. We haven't had a debate for a long time. Let, let, let me, I'm, I'm getting way ahead of myself. Let me get to the lesson. Um, to kind of set things up, I want to tell you a story about two girls. They were in Germany going down the Audubon where they needed, needed gasoline. They pull over to a gas station to fill up, but the girl discovered she didn't have enough money to pay the bill. So she talked to the uh, person at the station. They said, well, you know, we, we can't just let you leave. So she asked her friend to stay behind as a human deposit while she would go withdraw some money, cash somewhere, and come back and pay. This was a while back. Well, a police spokesman in the German town of Muschenberg said, unfortunately, the woman did not return. Two hours after the driver left, the gas station attendant called the police, uh, who then questioned the stranded deposit before releasing her. And, of course, they were, at the time, still investigating. I have no idea if they ever found her. How many of you would like to have a friend like that that would leave you stranded? Not me. You could say that this so-called friend harmed the person she left behind. She left uh, behind, uh, uh, this woman she left behind suffered the loss of time, embarrassment of having to talk with the police, the humiliation of knowing that her friend abandoned her. And Proverbs tells us uh, there are friends like that, that there will be people out there who hurt us. The companion of fools will suffer harm. Why did the girl stay behind as a human deposit? Why allow herself to be stranded like that? She trusted her friend. She didn't expect to be left behind. She expected that her friend would return and take her where she wanted to go. But the Bible repeatedly tells us that we need to be careful what friends we choose because some friends won't take us where we want to go. And we may end up being stranded someplace and don't want to be there. Having uh, the wrong friends can be a painful experience. Just because somebody on one particular issue is spouting the same things you agree with does not mean they are on your side. Now, I like Elon Musk. I'm glad he bought Twitter. I want it open. I want people on both sides. I want a forum where you can reach everyone in the political space. That's what I want. I want there to be dialogue. Is there going to be haters? Well, yeah. So what? There's always those. Deal with it. We need to learn how to deal with that sort of thing. But we need to be able to speak to them and talk with them. But when you start allowing groupthink to come in and you just follow somebody blindly, not knowing what they really believe in, just because they agree with some few of the things, don't be surprised that they leave you behind if it helps their cause. They don't care. Well, I should say most of the time they don't care. In Numbers 33, verse, 30, uh, verse 55, God tells Israel that if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall come about that those whom you let remain of them will become as pricks in your eyes and as thorns in your sides, and they will trouble you in the land in which you live. In other words, Israel needed to avoid hanging out with those people. The very presence of those former inhabitants of the land would 
I, I wrote here could, but it should be would. Would hurt Israel. And the Bible tells us the same thing. Who we hang out with can cause us great pain. They can harm us. They can hurt our families, our future, our dreams. The companion of fools will suffer harm. The biblical case and point here is the story of a man named Lot, the nephew of Abraham. Over in Genesis chapter 13, verses uh, 10 to 13, it says, Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the valley of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go to Zor. So Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the cities of the valley, and moved his tents as far as Sodom. When the men of Sodom were uh, now the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. And that's where Lot pitched his tent near Sodom. Not a good place to live. Wicked city full of sin. So why would he do that? It was a beautiful neighborhood. All the bushes were trimmed. The houses were nicely painted. The gardens were beautiful. It seemed like a good place to raise a family. Sometime later, in Genesis 14, 12, we're told that Lot was living in Sodom. So first he pitched his tents near Sodom, and now he moved into town. And then, later on, in uh, chapter 19, verse 1, we're, we're told um, uh, 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 when the angel of the God came to warn Lot to flee the city, the coming judgment, where, where was he? He was sitting in the gates. Who would ordinarily sit in the gateway of a city? The elders of the city, men of prominence of the community to judge. Now, it's told us there that he's, it seems to me that he was there to warn people. In fact, actually, let me, let me get over there on my, in my Bible real quick and read that. Now, two angels came to Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. Now, this was in the evening. Now, a lot of times we think maybe he's there as a judge. Maybe he is, and it seems like it. But it also seems like Lot's there to warn people about what kind of city they're coming into. So these were men who, uh, here, here's Sodom, or Sodom, a lot, you know, trying to do the right thing. First he pitches his tent near Sodom, then he moves into the city. Now he seems to be doing things, working in the city, but I cannot believe he would live there. A leader, it seems like, in a sin-filled, wicked city. I think he's trying to do the right thing in Sodom. We see in other passages, but that's a, another study. But my, well, my point is, don't don't draw near to people like that, and we know. Does that mean we should not be near any sinners at all? We'll get to that if we've got time. It's uh, I'm already eleven minutes in. But Second Peter chapter two verse seven tells us that Lot was a righteous man, but he'd been drawn into a wicked city. After a while, the immorality and the unrighteousness of his companions began to warp his righteousness and damage his family. Chapter nineteen tells us that when the men of the town realized Lot had male guests at his home, <clears throat> that would be the angels, they surrounded his house and demanded Lot allow them to have homosexual relations with them. But he tried to protect them. And what do you think he did? He offered the crowd his daughters instead. Unbelievable. But the angels convinced Lot and his family to flee the city, but warned them not to turn around, not to look back. Guess who would not come with him? His sons-in-laws. Son-in-laws would not go. They wouldn't go. 
And so they leave. Warned not to turn around. What does wife's uh, lost wife do? She turned around and looked back. She And she gets turned into a pillar of salt. She had grown so attached to her home that she just couldn't help herself. And then Lot and his daughters flee to the hills around the city. When the daughters realize their prospects of finding a husband have gone up in flames, along with the burning city, they thought they were the only people left in the world. What do they do? they they're, they got to repopulate the world, right? That's what they're thinking. So they get their father drunk, and they have relations with him. That is one big tangled mess. But it happened because even a righteous man can be led astray. Lot did not choose his companions wisely, and it hurt his entire family. Even a righteous man like Lot can become warped by the mindset of Sodom. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 warns us, Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What has light to do with darkness? Did, did you notice the word fellowship there? What fellowship has light with darkness? The word fellowship is an interesting word. It, it comes up with it's two words, fellow and ship. And it brings an image to my mind of two fellows in a ship. Fellowship. And if you have two fellows in one ship, they can go in two different, or can they go, I should say, in two different destinations? No. If you have two fellows in one ship, they've got to go in one direction. They don't have a choice. If you're going to have fellowship with someone, you better be sure you want to go where they're going. Because more than likely, if you're not careful, that's where you're going to end up also. Galatians Chapter 5, look at verses 19 to 21. I'll read it for you because you're probably driving. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why would Paul write the deeds of the flesh to the Christians living in Galatia? Because that's where some people row their ships toward. That's how they live their lives. And Christians need to be careful to avoid getting into ships headed in that direction. There's a thin wall that stands between us and sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's all of us. And we're also told that the heart is deceitful above all things. And the Bible warns us that it doesn't take much to drag Christians out of the will of God and into the sphere of those who practice evil things. Sometimes all it takes are the wrong companions. Paul was warning the Christians in Galatia because of some of, because some of them have fallen back into those life choices. The draw of the past and the old friends and companions of the past are hurting them. And Paul was telling them that uh, their very salvation could be at stake if they didn't resist. You don't want to be a close companion with people who live like that. You don't want to be hanging out with certain kinds of people because their life choices will have an effect on you. On the one hand, the first part of Proverbs 13.20 says, He who walks with wise men will be wise. If you have fellowship with these people, then you end up being like them. If you want to be wise, hang out with wise people. Learn from them. 
On the other hand, the Bible warns us that hanging around with the wrong, uh, with other kinds of folks, has a negative effect. Um, Proverbs 22, verses 24 and 25. Do not associate with a man given to anger, or go with a hot-tempered man, or you will learn his ways and find a snare for yourself. Hmm. If you hang around angry people, you risk learning and engrafting engrafting their anger into your own life. Who you hang out with affects how you think and how you act. And it's not just the Bible that tells us that. Not that long ago, there was a study at Brown University, and the researchers said there that their research suggested that divorce is contagious. Do you know that? They found that the divorce of a friend or a loved one increases your chances of getting divorced too. That's, a, that's insane. The study conducted in Framingham, uh, Framingham, Framingham, Massachusetts, I think, found that 75% of participants were more likely to get divorced if a friend were, was divorced. 33% were more likely to end their marriage even if a friend or a friend got divorced. Researchers called the phenomenon social contagion, the spread of information, attitudes, and behavior through friends, family, and social workers. Psychotherapist uh, Tilia Filippalia, I think, oof, well, I probably butchered that last name, does not necessarily agree that divorce itself is contagious, but she said that emotions associated with divorce can be. Emotions are contagious. That is so true. That is so true. She, she says emotions are contagious. And if you have somebody really unhappy in their relationship around you all the time, you may start to be critical of your own relationship. Yes, that's true. Repeatedly, the Bible warns us against spending time with the wrong folks. 1 Corinthians 15.33, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Now, that doesn't mean that you cannot have non-Christian friends. Let me say that again. It does not mean you cannot have non-Christian friends. It means if, if they're going to be your friends, you've got to be careful they don't steer the boat. And that's a real danger. Most people are rowing the direction they are rowing because they're convinced that that is the right way to go. And if you get in their boat, they'll try to make sure you go where they go. After all, if they didn't think it was right, they wouldn't be rowing that way themselves. <clears throat> You've got to be careful who you choose for friends because they will try to steer the boat. I want to get on a little excursus here again, <clears throat> getting back to the uh, election of Donald Trump and Joe Biden. In the beginning, I was on the bandwagon that that was a stolen election. I'm beginning to drift away from that because I don't see it. Was it, was there nefarious things? Yes. Was it illegal things? I don't know. Um... Because of the way our laws are written, was it unethical? Absolutely. There were definitely 100% unethical uh, things happening. But I can't say they were illegal, unfortunately. But a lot of people voted for Joe Biden only because they didn't like Donald Trump. 
or they didn't vote at all. And now we got Joe Biden, and things are going really bad. Um, probably shouldn't get political, but it's the truth. And if you don't see that the, the country is moving in absolutely the worst possible direction, then I don't know what to tell you. I'm not telling you to go vote for Donald Trump. I'm just telling you to, that Joe Biden and, and his staff, they've created these problems. They've created it. And they're trying to open up the southern border even more. It's ridiculous. I don't understand. It's like they're trying to destroy the country. I'm not saying they're trying. That's their goal. But boy, that's where they're moving their boat into that direction. You know, I had a young girl. Uh, this, uh, this wasn't for me, but this was a story told to me. He had a young girl tell this fella that they had a friend who was a Christian that they were seeking advice from. And the advice from the friend uh, that they got, the advice they got, didn't sound quite right. So she asked, how do you know they're a Christian? Do they go to church? Uh, The girl said, no. Or the guy asked her this. The girl said, no. But they read their Bible all the time. They just don't think they have to go to church to be a Christian. So essentially, this friend didn't go to church because they didn't think it was all that important. When I say church, I mean the worship service. If somebody tells me that they are a Christian, that they love Jesus, but they don't want to go to the worship service, automatically red flags. Red flags. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And this guy wants to tell me they love Jesus, but he doesn't love the church. I don't think so. This guy is either deceived or he's trying to deceive me. Either way, I don't want this man trying to steer my boat. If I'm going to have close friends, if I'm going to have friends I spend most of my time with, if I'm going to have friends who I'm going to allow to shape and mold who I am, then I want friends who will steer my boat toward Jesus and the things that he loves, like the church, purity in my life, dedication to God and family, living as man and woman of God, God, standing up for biblical righteousness. Those are the kind of friends I want. Because if I associate too closely with the people who don't share those values, I'll end up going to places I don't really want to go. But going back to Twitter, I'm on there. Sometimes I have discussions with people on there. And I know there's people out there who who hate Trump, and they're my friends, and that's okay. I have uh, some friends here in their congregation who I know don't agree with me on, on everything I preach, but they are always kind. And they're always gentle and loving toward me. And they keep coming, even though we have a disagreement about the Spirit. And I know they don't agree with me. I can tell when I bring it up. (laughs) But they still love me, and I still love them. And I know we don't agree on everything politically. But we can have great conversations. We have had good conversations. And I have other friends like that. Unfortunately, there's not very many like that on either side. Whether you're conservative or liberal, Republican or Democrat, it doesn't matter. And it's not about that. It's about mindsets. We don't have real discussions and debates anymore. We have my way or the highway. You get in my boat, you're going this way. That's the way a lot of people are. It shouldn't be like that. Proverbs 12.26 tells us, The righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. 
If you live your life right and you want to please God, you have to be careful about who you choose as friends. Okay. You know, as I think about this, a lot of times we don't choose our friends. Friends are often people that we kind of fall in with. We don't so much choose them as uh, we end up spending time with them at common activities. We might bowl with them or attend the same activities with them or take our kids or grandkids to the same activities. We kind of bump into people like that, right? So we find uh, uh, we find we like them and we want to spend time with them, and there's nothing technically wrong with that. That's how you increase your sphere of influence. That's how you meet people and how you begin to find folks you can introduce your real big friend, Jesus, with. But then I got thinking about the kind of people Jesus spent his time with. He spent his time with the 12 closest friends and disciples. He also spent time with people that I just told you we shouldn't spend time with. Sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes, general losers in life. But he never just happened to fall into relationships. Those people became Jesus' acquaintances and ultimately his friends, but they never steered the boat. And if they tried to steer it away from Jesus, then off they went, and Jesus did not change his direction. And I have some examples on that. i got a, about a minute. Uh, the crippled man in John uh, chapter 5. Some folks weren't happy that Jesus had healed that man on the Sabbath. But the healed man stood up for Jesus. He didn't back down when they criticized Jesus, what he had done. But when Jesus met him later on that day, these were Jesus' words to him. He said, quote, in John five fourteen. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. This man had stood up for Jesus. He literally had become Jesus' friend. But Jesus says to him, quit doing what you're doing. Stop sinning because if you don't, things will get worse. And there's more to that. Oh, I wish I could get into it. It wasn't his actions or the fact that he was uh, sick that made him uh or he, it wasn't his sins that made him as sick the way he was. He was talking about something different. I don't have time, but next week I'm finishing up this lesson and we'll dive more into this. Uh, our time's coming to an end. Thank you for being with me. Think these through these things. And it's okay to have a differing opinion. Just work it out and have a Christian attitude. Redeem the time. Thank you so much. I've got to cut it off. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. This program was sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. To hear this program again and others, go to FamilyValuesRadio1010.com and click on the podcast page and find this program and many others right there on FamilyValuesRadio1010.com.